I'm going to begin this, this sermon this morning with a, uh, with a story that has within it an admission my mom might not like me to say aloud. Sorry. But first let me say that my mom was a fifth grade elementary school teacher who worked extremely hard. She got us ready for school in the morning, saw us on the bus, went to her school, taught all day, did some grading and lesson planning before picking us up from our after-school care, and then came home, took us home, cooked and fed us dinner, made sure we did our homework, and then did more lesson planning and grading before and after putting me and my brother to bed. She was gifted, she was dedicated to her students, to her job, and to her family. But when she was off during the summer, at 3 p.m. every weekday, she would faithfully watch the soap opera Guiding Light. Guiding Light was, at one point, the longest continually running soap opera in TV history. And if I think really hard, I can still see that lighthouse flashing across the screen, illuminating the words, guiding light. I can remember those summer afternoons when we were not out playing or at the pool watching some of the show. I remember how scandalous, how ridiculous the plots were. I remember being able to miss a day or two and then come check back in and feel like I hadn't missed anything at all for multiple reasons. Uh, and I remember how madding, maddeningly addictive the show was. Show of hands, who in here is safe space? Who in here has been at one point or another an avid watcher of a soap opera? Guiding Lights, All My Children, General Hospital. Lest you all think that millennials didn't have our soap operas, I was an, a diehard watcher of the Fox show, The O.C. Any, any millennials? Yes. Yeah, that was a soap opera. I don't care if it aired in prime time. It had all of the makings and trappings of a soap. Soap operas rely on easy to digest and understand plots, consistent characters, or at least consistent character types, and most of all, drama, drama, drama. They rely on us knowing more than the characters involved. They rely on shock. And did I mention they rely on drama? They rely on us knowing that one character is cheating and waiting to see what happens when the other party finds out. They rely on us knowing that there's an evil twin and watching the drama that occurs, that occurs from the other characters not knowing. And they keep, keep us hooked by shocking twists, turns, and reveals. And yet, at the end of the day, we know that soap operas are empty calories. We know that the characters don't have a ton of substance. We know that the plots don't have much of a purpose. We know that soap operas don't have transcendent meaning. Soap operas aren't telling a story that has resolution or conclusion. They aren't building to something. They are just spinning out content with the only goal running forever. We don't want our lives to be soap operas. And yet, how often do our lives feel like soap operas? How often does our world feel like a meaningless drama? We want our lives to have substance. We want our stories to have meaning. We want our experiences to have 
purpose. For the next few weeks until Christmas, we are going to talk about what it means to wait for Jesus. We're going to talk about Advent. Hi, Evan. That's the new baby. Sorry, I got distracted. Advent is the season in the church that is all about our waiting for salvation, our waiting for Jesus, our waiting for God, our waiting for hope and peace and joy and love. But Advent is also talking about what it is that we need salvation from, what it is we need salvation for, why it is we need Jesus. I believe that we need Jesus. I believe we need salvation. I believe we need hope and peace and joy and love precisely because without all those things, our lives are a soap opera. Without the hope and peace and joy and love that Jesus brings, our lives are a series of dramatic reveals, shocking twists and random turns without resolution. So how can Jesus save us from our soap operas? How can the guiding light of the Christ child lead us out of our own guiding light? See what I did there? How can the guiding light of the Christ child lead us out of our own guiding light? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good, huh? You can tweet that if you want. Post it on Facebook. I'll wait. Today we are going to begin to talk about this by looking at a prophecy of Jesus as told by the prophet Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 11. It's printed in your lifeline. It's uh, projected on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible but want a Bible, we, we have some over on the welcome table. Feel free to, to take it, use it for today, or to take it home and use it for eternity. A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. A spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This passage is one of true beauty. The imagery, the language, the effect. It beautifully paints two portraits and hangs them before us. Two pictures of a better way of life. Two stunning and compelling visions for what life could be like. If we were in a museum, walking through artist paintings of passages like these, this passage would have two paintings sitting side by side. One entitled Justice, the other entitled Peace. 
This passage tells us what life could be like when the Messiah comes, when our God is king, when all things on earth are as they are in heaven. And when that happens, there will be justice and there will be peace. When the Messiah comes in full power and might, we will have a leader that will rule justly. We will have a leader that will judge faithfully. We will have a leader that will rid the earth of basic inequalities, poverty, racism, xenophobia. We will have a leader who will punish the unjust. Every few years we hear would-be leaders make promises. One day we will have a leader who will keep the highest of promises. When the Messiah comes in full power and might, we will have peace. Not peace like there won't be war, but real peace. Peace that comes through healed and whole relationships. The lion will lie down with the lamb. The lamb won't fear the lion. The child won't fear vipers. Patrick, please still fear snakes for the moment. There won't be any reason to fear the other. We will be in love and harmony. Now I know that this sounds like a song from the, the flower children age. But creation will be healed. We will be healed such that this will be our reality. Clearly the vision put forth in this passage, the promises made in this section, differ from our daily experiences of life. We don't live in a world where lions lie down with lambs. We don't live in a world where justice reigns. We live in a world of fear and anxiety. We live in a world of hurt or be hurt. We live in a world of deep injustice. We live in a world of gotcha and drama and intrigue. We live in a world where our nightly news broadcasts look a whole lot more like soap operas than they do the biblical or prophetic witness. Drama sells. Intrigue sells. Gotcha sells. Fear and anger and anxiety sell. Peace, justice, they don't make good television. Which is why we still read the Old Testament, even though we have the New Testament. It's why we still need Advent, even though the first Christmas happened long ago. You see, the Old Testament and the New Testament speak in categorically different ways. The Old Testament speaks in the future tense. It speaks of promises. It speaks of hope. It speaks of a future. It speaks into a troubled present and talks about a future time where God will set things right. The New Testament speaks in the present tense. It speaks of promises fulfilled, hope realized. It tells of a blessed present. The New Testament announces that the kingdom of God has come near and the messianic promises of God are fulfilled in your hearing. The New Testament speaks in the present tense about the kingdom of God where justice reigns, where poverty and oppression have been eradicated, where everyone has the basic things they need to thrive. The New Testament speaks in the present tense about the kingdom of God, the peaceable kingdom, where there is no hurt or violence, where love and friendship blossom. And we love reading about this hope fulfilled. But friends, sometimes it creates some cognitive dissonance for me. Because I go from reading about this present kingdom and I go out into our real world. And our real world is nothing like the kingdom of God that I read about that has come near.
Isaiah speaks of a kingdom ruled justly. Isaiah speaks of a coming king or ruler who will make judgments for the poor, who will slay the wicked, who will bring about the vision of life that God Almighty wants. And yet we live in a world of deep economic injustice. We live in a country where the wealthiest 1% of people in our country have more than 40% of the wealth. We live in a country where the single greatest group of people living in poverty are children. One in four people in this, in this country, nearly one in four, live in abject, horrific, back-breaking poverty, nearly one in four, and their children. Friends, surely the code of our humanity is faithful service to that unwritten commandment that we shall give our children better than we ourselves had. We live in a world where children are subjected to poverty while the wicked and corrupt profit. Isaiah speaks of a time of great peace where the wolf will lie down with the lamb where predators and prey can live together in harmony where the weakest among us have nothing to fear. Relationships are healed. Not only do we not fear the other, but we love the other. And yet we live in a world where we attack each other, hate each other, demonize each other. We live in a world where people bully each other. We live in a world where those things that divide us become more important than the things that unite us. Our differences become the basis of hatred rather than the, our similarities the basis of love. Friends, this is why we need Advent. And I don't mean Advent the way that Hallmark or Potomac Mills or Wash FM mean Advent. I mean the real Advent, the way the church has celebrated Advent throughout history. We need a time of waiting, a time of preparation, a time to acknowledge that we need a Savior, desperately need a Savior. We need to live into the future tense of messianic promise and prophecy. We need to acknowledge that more often than not, than not, our lives feel like soap operas. We need to admit and lament that our lives, more often than not, are based on the dramas of our own making, based on passing trivialities, based on rules of a kingdom that is not God's. And we need to cry out that we need a Savior. We need God to come into our lives and save us from this soap opera. We need God to build his kingdom. We need God to bring justice and peace into our communities, into our world. We need this moment to cry out that we need God. And we need to live into this tension that we are a people who speak in two tenses. We Christians are a people that have two testaments. We speak of the, not, uh, we speak of the yet to come and we speak of the fulfilled. We say a shoot shall spring up from the stump of Jesse and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because we are a people of the both and, because we are a people whose story is in this tension, because we are Christians celebrating Advent, we have a unique responsibility. The first thing is that we need to be a witness to the waiting. The first thing we have to do is remind the world that we stand in need of a Savior that we need justice, that we need peace, and that God alone can bring those things into our lives. We have to wait. We have to proclaim that we are waiting. We have to be a people who point out that this world is awaiting something. We have to call out the soap opera for what it is. We have to say that we live in a time of the not yet. We are waiting for the Messiah.
And if people don't know, if people don't know that, if the world thinks that this is the best we can hope for, then we will never experience the true justice. We will never experience true peace. We will never see the world that Isaiah dreams about and prophesies. We have to acknowledge that we are waiting. But the second thing that we can do is what we can do as a people who have the New Testament. The second thing we can do is what we can do as a people who speak in the present tense of a kingdom fulfilled. The second thing we can do is what we can do as a people who celebrate Christmas as a historical event. And that is to work for justice. That is to work for peace. That is to dream about what justice and peace might look like in this community. And to do what we can to make those possible in the here and now. What does justice look like in this community? What does justice look like in your life? What can you do to make our community a bit more just? Maybe it involves feeding the hungry through bread and fishes at Dumfries United Methodist Church. Maybe it involves working for the homeless and poor by visiting the Hilda Barg Center or with Axe. Maybe it involves stamping out corruption where you see it, calling out liars for the lies they tell, and giving a voice to the basic discrepancies and inequalities in our society. What does it look like for you to make this community a bit more just? You have a responsibility as people who say the Messiah has come into the world to work for that justice. What does peace look like in this community? What does peace look like in your life? What can you do to make our community a bit more a community of peace? Maybe it means being people who are about healing and reconciliation. Maybe it means listening to and building relationship with people whose views differ from your own. And at the end saying, we disagree, but I love you. Maybe it means raising your kids to be people who don't bully. Maybe it means calling out bullies for what they are. Maybe it means not being a people of fear, but being a people of love. What does it look like in this community for the wolf to lie down with the lamb? As people who say that the Messiah has come into the world, you have a responsibility to work for that peace. The, prophet, the prophets announce, and our God promises to bring about a kingdom of justice and peace. Our God promises salvation from the soap opera. This Advent, let us be a people who proclaim our need of a Savior. And then let us, as people who proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, work to make real the salvation from the soap opera that our God brings. Let us pray. Almighty and all of God, your prophets announce and scripture gives us